Hi, and welcome. This is Lee Siegfried, host of A Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we keep it real. We talk about dogs, living with dogs, life with dogs, dog training, and the full spectrum of the journey from puppyhood and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Life Will Live with Dogs podcast. This is your host, Lee Siegfried. Thank you for joining me wherever you are, whatever time it is. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good grocery shopping, good driving around, good good whatever you're doing, good walking, good walking with your dog, good hiking. It's 2023. How about that? <laughs> I already feel like it's been like six months. I'm not even kidding you. I had a really lovely little break. I hope you guys did as well. And right back at it, right back at it. And at our training business, Opportunity Barks, we started off the year with hosting J-Jack from Next Level Dogs and GRC Dog Sports to come out and hang with us for a few days. I mean, I knew it was going to blow everyone's mind in the best way, and it absolutely did. It's the gift that keeps giving. I don't know about you, but I love to learn intensely, and I love to learn things that completely help me connect dots and, and challenge previous held beliefs or, or, or things that I've concluded due to experience and then having me rethink things, which is awesome. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some key takeaways from that weekend and things to be thinking about in working with your own dogs. And I don't know, maybe I'll just do a series on these. It seems to be that by a popular demand, people are really into these like 101 type of things. These like, give me a hot take and some, and some starting points on things. So I'm going to talk about some of these things. So one of the starting points is in working with our clients or working with dog people, you guys are dog people. I don't know if you know that, but you are. And working with dog people <laughs> and you know, working with people and their dog, it's like having pieces to one of those big puzzles that you put together. I'm an East Coaster. This feels like a very East Coast thing, but I'm sure it's not. Like, you know, it's the puzzle you put together on uh, the vacation that you go on in the summer. It's like what you do when you're like not reading a book or like, I don't know, not doing beach stuff. You're putting together puzzles. Does anyone else have that childhood memory? Maybe it's just me. Okay. So working with people and dogs is like, you could have like a 50 piece puzzle or a hundred piece puzzle or a thousand piece puzzle, right? And it doesn't really matter how many pieces are in the puzzle, 50, a hundred, a thousand, because most of the time you are starting with some bare bones Q and A. You're, you're asking some questions, right? And ideally there's a good quality of these questions because that's in my opinion, going to determine the kind of outcome you have, the kind of questions that the person that's working with you is asking and or how they're starting to kind of culminate that information. So this is sort of a concept that Jay teaches that's not necessarily like he'll say, hey, this isn't really my concept. Like somebody got it somewhere, but like, hey, here it is called the layered stress model. And imagine a, a triangle, if you will. Right. And at the bottom of the triangle is what we would call health, which is absolutely, you know, if you come to work with us with a behavioral issue, we're absolutely going to like poke around and take a look there. Because when you're dealing with a dog's health, you need to take that into like how the being is feeling needs to be taken into consideration before you start coming up with grandiose plans to solve some sort of problem. Right. And I would equally say, look in the mirror, folks, looking at where you may have your own health stuff that could be contributing to the stress around a dog thing is also an important place to look. So I don't think that this is just a one-sided street, right? So if we start with health, what we're really looking at is how does the dog 
rest and digest. And one question that we usually are asking people is like, are there any reoccurring health conditions? Is there any chronic condition? Is there, do we have allergies? Do we have chronic inflammation? Does this dog have like chronic GI stuff, skin conditions, things that would make them feel itchy, like on and on and on. It's like, you know, you don't want to dig too deep, but you do want to pause and consider as a dog owner before I'm jumping into any kind of training, like from the health front are things looking pretty good. And if you're like, oh God, how would I know that? I mean, you're going to know by the energy level of the dog or any shift in energy level. You're going to know by back to rest and digest, how well are they resting? And then how well are they like eating, consuming and like, what's the poop look like? (laughs) I could post up a poop chart. That's funny to now say that out loud, but we do have a poop chart we use, (laughs) which just tells you something about your dog's health or whether where they're coming from based based on the quality of their still. How about that? That's not like the only metric, right? If you have any thoughts, concerns, considerations, you know, make sure that you're getting a good workup at your vet. For some of you that may be considering like mobility issues, if you're local to Philly, you know, feel free to reach out. I have a great recommendation for a place where you can go for an eval. But essentially it's like, how is the animal moving? How is the animal resting? How is the animal eating? Like what how do they seem? Do they seem well, right? Do they Are they able to move freely? And then on top of that, I would say, you know, we, I mentioned energy, but like, what is their energy like? And then are you contributing to that in the sense of moving, moving beyond health? Let's, let's move into sort of like the next realm and we're going to call it enrichment or biological fulfillment. When you start moving up the triangle, you're now looking at, okay, the health seems stable. There's no big agitators. Cool. When we get into enrichment and I've called it enrichment for years, enrichment is really a concept that was taken from the zoo world and primarily the idea there being that you have exotic species in a captive environment, right? Or sort of in a domesticated environment. You can take the person out of the country, right? The concept being you can take the animal out of its natural environment and put it in an artificial environment However, you cannot cease to give that animal opportunities to practice species-specific behaviors, right? You can't take the rhino out of the Sahara Plains of Africa and go, yeah, okay, have fun in in that cement enclosure. Like, you have to give that rhino opportunities to have social interaction, opportunities to move the way a rhino moves, opportunities to, I don't know what rhinos do. Do they gore things? Do they rub up against things? Do they, do they like dig? Like, I don't know what rhinos do, but enrichment in the zoo is a, is a much more common thought. And a lot of my mentors worked with exotic species. So this was like at the forefront of their, their learning because when they began to work with companions and pets, they kind of brought that into their work. And it made a lot of sense to me, right? Providing enrichment means you're meeting the biological needs of the animal to the degree to which you can, which does what? Well, it offsets stress. If you offset stress or lower stress, you're also going to have an animal that is like a lot cooler about a lot of things, right? Not easily frustrated, maybe not aggressing, is sort of satiated or satisfied in some ways. Now, let's be honest, like there are some animals where they're woefully under enriched, even, you know, even when people are making an attempt. And I would say the the thing about enrichment or biological fulfillment is that I think that there's this idea with our dogs that biological fulfillment is 
distinct and different from what I'll call busy work. So in our view, right, of our pet dogs, enriching them can look like giving them things to chew on, bones, antlers. You know, in my house, it's yak chews, real real beef bones, buffalo horns. These are just like 24-7, my dog has access to this stuff. It's just like laying around my house. And if anyone has stepped on a bone, I feel you. Boy, bare feet on a bone, it's it hurts. <laughs> but okay, okay. 24-7 access to things that she may want to chew on. Why? I want to be able to meet her biological need to chew and offset the the thought that she might think that chewing on my the corner of a wall or my table legs or the chair rungs is a good idea. Right. I want to kind of give her plenty of options, right? And and then if you take it a step further, you know, certainly as pet owners, we've seen an industry of like food dispensing toys. Woo! Well, food dispensing toys really at their core, here's all they are, right? They are a toy stuffed with some sort of kibble or treat that the dog usually is pushing around. And that mimics the behavior of foraging. I guess if you're a horse grazing, if you're a dog foraging, or if you're a dog in my backyard and it's not a treat dispensing toy, it's deer poop or rabbit poop. (laughs) Sort of the same thing, but much more uh, politically correct. And you're going to feel okay with that in your home. So that's cool. You know, it gives them opportunities to scent and push and and eat a meal in a way that's more challenging, right? Particularly for dogs that have a higher prey drive or would just like suck down a bowl of food. It kind of extends that idea. And then there's Kongs and bones and things that you stuff with food. And again, the idea there being like the dog lays down with it, they chew on it for a while, yada, yada. All of that stuff is great. But I don't think, I don't know how this is perceived by dog owners, but I'm going to make some assumptions. Okay. I'm going to assume that most of us are like, you know, I walk the dog or the dog was out in the yard. Cool. I did some of that stuff, like the food dispensing toy or like, I don't know. I threw another thing, like without a food dispensing toy, if you have a fence space or even within your home, you could just literally treat, toss your food on the ground and let your dog forage for it. It's sort of the same thing. Now, there's nothing like the classic hard water bottle that most dogs are like, this is the best toy ever. And you're like, oh my God, this is great. It's just something that I was going to toss anyway or recycle. So let me throw some kibble in it and go crazy. So that stuff is all good. However, natural movement, I think is something that we don't give enough thought to like dogs moving the way they want to move, running, scenting, off leash, you know, on leash only exercise. And I'm not saying this out of guilt or I don't want dog owners to hear and feel like shamey about this. And I'm just saying, just consider, just consider if your dog never has any sort of like free ranging time outdoors. And if you're like, thanks, I do feel guilty now. Thanks, Lee. What I'm going to say is I want you to consider an in-between as a starting point, particularly if you're either overwhelmed by the thought of finding that or over or like scared. A side conversation that I had with Jay while we were together was that I said, and I was kind of checking in like, is this in your experience? Is this right? I said, I have always felt because <laughs> I, I do a lot of off-leash hiking with my dogs and that's not everyone's jam, but that's my jam. I said, I have always felt that when my dog and my dogs and I have gotten in a little bit of an, a, a jam, an adventure, and I'll explain things like we just hiked for an hour and a half and now she jumped into the raging 
Creek to chase ducks and ducklings. I mean, trust me, guys, it was a little much. I was, I, I did have the thought of like, is this is how my dog's going out? She's going to like drown in a creek with raging water because she's chasing ducklings. And this mother was just like leading her further and further and further away from her babies. And I was like, go mom. But I was like, oh my God, like my dog is not going to get out of this loop. And she did. I don't even know how we sort of like penetrated her like complete prey drive and got her back. Or another time we were hiking and we think she had, my pointer at the time, had scented a newly born mm, fawn, small enough to be hiding. And we got charged by a deer. And I had my Vishla who was like hightailing it out of there. And the pointer who was like, hit the pause button and is like right back on it. That was that was an interesting moment in our relationship. I remember once we were hiking and she popped a fox in a field with a with her buddy Mojo. So these little moments that edge into, wow, what my dog is really totally capable of as an animal. And then me being like, but it's my job to keep you safe. So it, it sort of put us under some pressure, like some real pressure. And then there's also, I'm going to call it pressure, but I'm going to kind of think of it as more manufactured. It's like me, me taking her to like the farmer's market. And her like keeping it together and being like, yeah, there's a lot going on here, but like, you got it. You got it for me. You know, like I had to be her like wayfinder and also the one to advocate for her and keep her safe and help her make decisions about that space. Like, look, she's completely capable of making decisions, but I can't always, and we can't always put our dogs in being like, whatever, bro. Hope you out. Like, you're good. We're everything. Like, no, like part of my job as her protector, guardian, owner, pet parent, whatever you want to call me is to be the one, to be like the, her North Star to help her out when she needs help. So I had that thought and and Jay was like, absolutely. Like that, yeah. And then I, and then I was like, but like, look, a lot of people are never going to experience that, right? Like there are a lot of you that might be like, well, the sound of off-leash hiking sounds amazing, but I'm actually super confronted by that idea or that being possible or my dog not running to Alabama, right? So the good news is, that kind of thing can be manufactured and then you can confidence build and you can sort of dip into getting as adventurous as you want to get. I mean, I would encourage you guys to get adventurous because like when you really see what what you and your dog are capable of as a team, it's like, it's a beautiful thing. But if you never know or experience that, actually that makes me a little like, well, makes me a little, I really, I guess I really want people to experience that. Anywho, the point being that natural movement is, I think, very critical to a dog being fulfilled and happy and balanced and fill in any word that is like enriched, right? It's like the dog's good because the dog's good, right? Like the dog's good because they're they're getting what they need on a daily basis. So if it feels intimidating to consider like off-leash, I want to just say that you can you can do some training that is up close and personal, say on a six foot leash, and then transition to longer leashes outdoors. So there are long lines and long leashes that can bridge that gap for many of you, which allows your dog some ability to scent and sniff and start to kind of play around with natural movement. And then while you may be building a recall, calling your dog back to you and getting comfortable with that and building that up. Long lines are available in 15, 30, 50 foot lengths. I mean, you could also just go to a hardware store and buy a bunch of rope and make sure it's tied really tightly to a, to a leash clip, like problem solved. And we're not talking about dogs getting on 50 foot long lines and like completely disengaging from their owners and clotheslining and you still feel scared. Like that's kind of not it either. 
nothing like a dog plunging to the end of a 50-foot leash and like doing a backflip. That's not what we're talking about, but just encouraging you guys that, that that could be a good foray into investigating that. So if you're living in a very urban environment, encouraging you to go to parks and using a long line and getting solid. And if you're also like, cool, but I don't want my dog to learn how to pull and da 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 like I hear you. And like when your dog's exploring, I'm not going to say don't. Okay. I am actually going to talk about this because I think people collapse this quite a bit. Sometimes we collapse like the, we get, we get concerned that the dog's manners are going to like devolve because we're giving them some like opportunity to be do- be like wild and like rewilding our dogs. You're not, when your dog is just immersed in nature or you're doing whatever you're doing or you're scenting in a field or you're like, let's live in life or you're playing, your dog is not in a mode where you're asking them to move with you in a particular way. And there are times when you're going to ask your dog to move with you in a particular way. And there are going to be other times when you say to your dog, like, go do whatever you want to do. Like I'm, we're, we're not, you don't, we're not, we're not doing that move next to me on a leash thing right now. And it is not going to undermine your leash skills. That's good news, right? So I'm going to say that again, your dog, let's say pulling on a harness on a nature hike is not going to devolve your hard-earned leash skills that you're still working on building and still, if you know, you get, especially if you're like, it's hard <laughs> and my dog pulls. Cool. There's still more leash work stuff to do, of course, probably. And then it's also like, don't collapse this idea that your dog, like pulling on a leash in some other context is going to affect your on-leash manners. So I think I'm going to cap it there with a layered stress model idea. And then I'm going to talk more about off-leash stuff and the on-leash stuff and and like the pulling and the not pulling stuff in just a hot minute. So (laughs) let's pause it there. But yeah, I think that's a good hunk for for beginning to talk about that layered stress model. And I'll do a little series on these. How about this? I'll I'll bang it out for you, babies. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'll get right back into this. Also, guys, if you enjoy what you're listening to or have requests for things you want me to do a deep dive on, please just shoot us an email. I can be reached at hello, H-E-L-L-O, hello, at O-P-B-A-R-K-S, O-P-Barks.com. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate us wherever you're your ear holes are served. <laughs> Wherever this is like in your lovely ear holes. Okay. Thank you, babes. Talk soon. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs>